all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Heart disease is the leading cause of death for women in the United States, and it can affect women of any age. Today, we have Dr. Myrna Alexander-Nickens on with us. She is a professor of medicine at UMMC and a cardiologist, and she's going to be discussing this topic further with us. We would love to hear from you. Share your comments and questions with us this morning. Send us an email to women at mpbonline.org. So I'm so excited to have Dr. Alexander on with me this morning. Um, as I mentioned, she is a cardiologist here at UMMC. And I just really thought this was a great topic because about 44% of women in the United States are living with some form of heart disease. And as I mentioned before, heart disease is the leading cause of death amongst women and can affect us at any age. Essentially, one in every five female deaths are related to heart disease in general. So I'm excited to have Myrna here with us um, this morning. And I thank you, Jasmine, for inviting me. It's always a pleasure coming here. And I would uh, entertain any questions that you all would have regarding heart disease in women. Uh, I do see men, too. So the guys, you can call about yourselves or your wives and your sisters, your aunts, uh, anything. We are here to answer your questions. So, Myrna, tell us a little bit about exactly what you do at UMC. Your area, we say cardiology, general, there's general cardiologists, there's interventional, there's valvular, there's, tell us a little bit about what your areas of expertise are. Right. So, uh, cardiology is a, um, we think of cardiovascular, and I remind our, my fellows even that we take care of not just the heart problem, we also take care of patients with vascular problems. Um, so that being said, anything that's uh, affecting the heart may affect your blood vessels. So some of my colleagues, maybe they just take care of patients with peripheral vascular disease, and we'll go over that later as well. Uh, but some of uh, what I do, when I first started out, I was an interventional cardiologist. I did that for about 18 years. I loved it, um, but we were the people that took care of patients that had a blockage. We go in, we open the blockage, or if you had a heart attack, we go in and try to get that blockage open early on to try to save the muscle. The muscle is the heart. 
Uh, after about 18 years and life changes, uh, I joined UMMC, and actually Jasmine was one of my residents. She was a great <laughs> resident as well. Uh, but we've all uh, matured a little bit, and uh, I'm a little bit more mature. But uh, here now, um, I uh, basically am a clinical cardiologist, and uh, I teach. I uh, am over to Echo Lab uh, once a week and sometimes two or three times a week. Um, where we see patients and we diagnose their problems with the ultrasound. And for women, uh, most of you women know about ultrasounds because you may have been pregnant before, so they've done ultrasounds of your baby. Well, we do ultrasounds of the heart. Um, so that's something I do once a week. On the other days I see patients in the clinic, I have a more of an interest in cardiovascular disease in women with heart disease that are, that are pregnant. So that's a little extra niche that I've developed, and we are trying to change. We are are seeing patients at UMMC, um, patients that have cardiovascular disease. We have a little team of uh, physicians, the maternal fetal medicine patients, I mean, um, specialists, and I, along with our anesthesiologists and cardiovascular surgeons, are a group that sort of focus on women that that are high risk during their pregnancy. So that's me in a capsule, but uh, we got a lot to do all week long, though. Oh, yeah. And I just really wanted to highlight that because even before I started residency or being a doctor, like every time you think someone says heart disease, everybody automatically goes to heart attack. Oh, you know, or when I ask patients, are, are there heart problems in your family? It's such a broad topic. And so I don't feel like people realize when we're talking about people dying of heart disease or complications of heart disease, the heart is just one part of it. The cardiovascular system is. Is a big part. Yeah. So lately I have seen quite a few people, men and women, uh, with aortic valve disease as well as aortic dissections. And the reason I'm bringing that up, because I've been here often and we've talked about heart attacks and hypertension and hypertension is one of the leading cause of heart disease and that we're not gonna ever forget that because it is a silent killer but it can lead to heart disease but it can also lead to aortic dissections where the aorta gets large and sometimes it doesn't just get large it may split or sort of divide and and you can die suddenly from that as well but that's just one segment of what we're talking about today if you have any questions um, just to kind of review some of the risk factors for heart disease, one of them I just spoke about was hypertension. The other is diabetes. Um, then the, there's family history. So even if you don't have those illnesses, but you have a positive family history, if you're a woman, anybody that uh, have heart disease less than 65, a man less than 55, that's considered early heart disease. So you are at risk for heart disease if you are in that family. Um, then, of course, cigarette smoking, that is that increases your risk for heart disease as well. Um, what are we missing? Oh, hyperlipidemia, high cholesterol. Um, that So you need to make sure that you know what your numbers are, not just know what the total cholesterol uh, is, but you need to know what your panel looks like. So your 
uh, good cholesterol, your bad cholesterol, you need to know what those are. Uh, but those are, this sort of lays down the foundation for you having heart disease. But some women, especially young women, can have heart disease and not have any of those symptoms. So our, um, we recently um, got some information regarding maternal fetal medicine uh, and maternal mortality. We have a very high maternal mortality in our state for women dying of heart disease during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So not only is heart disease the number one cause of death in the non-pregnant state, it is in the pregnant state as well. So that's another field um, that's been around for a while, but we're paying more attention to it. We're trying to treat hypertension earlier then we used to, we were waiting till those numbers in doing pregnancy got to be like 160 over 110. We don't wait anymore for that. We treat the, the, the uh, mom much earlier, and we will decrease our chance for her having preeclampsia, eclampsia, and any other complications during pregnancy. Exactly. And you bring up a great point, um, Myrna, because this week is actually Black Maternal Health Week. And so um, that is, that was April 11th through the 17th. And oh. so it is definitely the time that we are highlighting that, that, you know, the increased risk and high mortality rate among African-American women and um, pregnancy. And just like you said, you know, we know many women are dying every day of complications of pregnancy. And one of the biggest ones as cardiovascular disease. And right. so definitely knowing what your risk factors are and, and are you at risk ahead of time. You know, sometimes pregnancies are planned, sometimes they're not. But, you know, right. if we're planning them, things that we can be looking at to help with that and kind of highlighting those risk factors that you covered. Right, sure. Yeah, if you're planning a pregnancy, that's great. Uh, so if you have hypertension, you can still get pregnant and have a successful pregnancy. It just needs to be planned out. You need to be on the proper medication. All high blood pressure medicines um, are not uh, a uh, does not mix with pregnancy. So you need to talk to your physicians about which ones to take while you're pregnant because some of them can hurt the baby uh, early. So you need to know which ones those are. Um, uh, if you're not planning and you miss a menses, a miss a period, um, then you need to make sure you follow up with your doctor early. Uh, early mean that first trimester, make sure that you follow up early and, and um, get a good exam. Uh, we do still recommend uh, exams for women 18 years old and older uh, <laughs> every year. And so it, you would find out some of these things if you don't know them. Uh, I see a lot of women after childbirth or after they're 40, they may still not go to the doctor because they feel like they're okay. But we still recommend yearly exams. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I tell patients sometimes one of the easiest things you can do is just buy you a blood pressure cuff. Right. They're on Amazon. They're, you know, when you're at, at Walmart, the, at Walmart yeah. just pick up one and know where you are. You don't have to wait until you go to the doctor's office. Um, and I didn't realize that many of my patients utilize the fire department. They'll say, I drove down to the fire department. Oh, and they check wow. the blood pressure. And, you know, so not saying we should overwhelm our fire <laughs> department with people that can check the blood pressure. But that is an option sometimes if you're worried and you just don't have access 
access or a family member doesn't have it. But I tell patients that's something simple that you can do is right. get yourself a blood pressure cuff and just know where you are. Exactly. Know, know your numbers. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I have here with me today Dr. Myrna Alexander, and we have been discussing heart disease in women or just heart disease in general. And so we have for our first caller, John. John, are you with yes. us? Hey, how are you it's this morning? Fine. Oh, nervous. Uh, no, okay. I was told that I could, had a, might have an aneurysm in my aorta vein of vessel. I didn't know you could have an aneurysm in your vessel. Well, uh, yes, John. Um, I'm not sure how you got that information, but the word aneurysm just means that there's a ballooning of the vessel. So you can have an aneurysm in the blood vessels of your brain, and they can be in the blood vessels of your chest. And the big blood vessel in the chest is the aorta. And um, that vessel goes all the way down from the top of the heart, uh, and it supplies blood to the um, blood vessels in your arms, to your abdomen, to your legs, to everywhere. So the aorta is a pretty big vessel, and you can have an aneurysm in the top part, which we call thoracic, and it can be also in the abdominal area. Uh, so which did, were you told? The, the, the doctors didn't tell me anything. A nurse said that she thought that that's what was wrong with me, and uh, I didn't know how to find out whether I had it or not. Oh, okay. This is a conversation so far. So let me just say this. The people that are at risk for aortic aneurysms are patients that have smoked and also patients that may have a family history of uh, aortic aneurysm and those that have hypertension. Those are the big risk factors. Um, So if you are any of those, even if you smoked 20 years ago, it increases your risk for having an aneurysm now. Um, I'm 58, so that's possible. Yeah, yes. so it's pretty uh, easy now to get it done. You can just get an, aort- uh, an ultrasound of your aortic of your aorta in your abdomen, but you would have to get something else, like a CAT scan or an ultrasound or an echocardiogram or something of your heart to actually look at the aorta in the in the chest wall. But do talk to your doctor though about that. I did and. Uh, the only doctor I have right there is my cancer doctor. And she said, find a cardiologist. Okay. Well, the, we got a big department at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Where do you live? Uh, Port Gibson. Port Gibson? Well, we're not that far away. Yeah. You come on up here, and we will take care of you. Well, I was in the hospital at Hattiesburg. Oh, well, they, Forest General, they, yeah, you can go there, too. Anywhere that's no, near. I don't want to go back because the doctors never talked to me. They sort of nursed up every once in a while. But uh, they uh, they didn't tell me, but I, I kind of, uh, one of the papers they left, brought, left, had me leave with, and it said they put a stent in my heart. They put they put a stent in your heart, so you have a cardiologist. No, that was because I was in the hospital because I fell. Oh, okay. And, uh, and, and like I said, they... They, they were debating whether the open heart surgery or put a fit in when I left, and they never came to a conclusion. Well, evidently they did and didn't tell me. Okay. Well, I, I think that if you follow back up with your uh, primary care physician, they can direct you to where you need to go 
but we there's so many cardiologists out here now that we are willing to uh, help you out. Uh, and you just give us a call later if you have well, any. Well, I need a, well, I need to be referred here. I just come up there. Right. So your primary care physician can refer you. Okay. Yes, sir. I'll call okay. Okay. You have a good day. And John, thank you so much for your call. So I will say one thing that I feel John kind of highlighted is we all work as a medical team. You know, the cardiologists, primary care doctors, your, you know, o, you know, OBGYN internists, we all work together to help diagnose a lot of these things. So one thing is, you know, do I need a cardiologist? Do I not need to see a cardiologist? You know, your primary care providers can really help you figure out some of those things. And many of the tests, such as the ultrasound that, um, Myrna was talking about your primary care doctors can order and screen right. you for aneurysms and things like that and then point you in the right direction to a cardiologist. So I don't want patients to feel lost out there like they can't get in with their cardiologist. Sue, what do I do or be nervous? It's always just a good conversation that you can have with your OBGYN, your internist, your family doctor. All those people can kind of help get you to the right people. Right. I wish they, they all did work together, but... Uh... They did tell me I had a valve that wasn't empty. Is that why they put a stent in there? Well, we're not sure where they put that stent, but uh, I think if you go back to um, your primary care physician as well as the whoever put the stent in, they can review that with you. Well, I think they're going to refer me to, to you all. Okay. Well, we're uh, here. Okay. okay. All right. Have a good Thank day. You. Thank okay. you, John. Take care. And we're going to move right on to our next caller. We have Vivian in Gloucester. Good morning. Uh, my, uh, my name is Vivian, and I'm calling my doctor, who is a cardiologist. He prescribed baby airspring for a heart murmur. And I wanted to know if there are stopping point for baby airspring or if that's something that happened over my entire life. Well, let me just say this, uh, Ms. Vivian. How old are you? I'm turning 60 in August. 60, okay. So, you know, there's been some data regarding the use of aspirin, and um, you may be thinking about some of the information that came out uh, several years ago about the use of aspirin or not. And so patients that are not at risk for any heart problems, you know, just normal everyday patients without high blood pressure, without diabetes, we don't recommend aspirin in them. But now if your doctor found a reason to use the aspirin, the aspirins could be helpful for you. Okay, so I, and I, it was about 10 years ago, and when I asked my uh, family medicine doctor and other doctors, they just say continue to take it. And uh, I was concerned about that because I do have high blood pressure and some other medical problems, and with the medication, you know, not being consistent with the other medicine. Do you have any, if you don't have any problems bleeding and your doctors have prescribed it, I think you should continue to take it. I uh, think the aspirin? The baby aspirin, yes. The baby, yes. Uh-huh. Now, how often should I go to see my cardiologist? Well, it depends upon what problem you have. So now it, your your cardiologist would tell you if you just have a heart murmur and they're, and your heart's okay, you might be seen once a year. Or maybe once every other year. But if the if the heart murmur is causing a problem, the murmur is what we hear when we listen to your heart. It doesn't necessarily tell us until we listen 
and maybe do some other testing what heart problems you do have. But it can represent valve problems. Um, that's the most common reason for the murmur. But it could just mean that there's an increase in flow and nothing's wrong with the heart with your valves. So that echocardiogram will help us um, give you the diagnosis. But I'm sure your cardiologist knows what the cause of the murmur is. You just have to discuss that with he or she. Okay. Now, do I have to get a referral from my primary care physician to see a specialist? Uh, It depends upon where you are coming from, and sometimes it depends upon your insurance. Some of the insurance companies will not allow you to just jump over your primary care person, and that's the nice thing about being here with Jasmine. She is a primary care person, and I'm always asking her, hey, how can I get our patients in to see you? It's harder to see her than it is to see me. But um, so when you ask me about a referral, it just depends upon your insurance company or um, your physician. But I I would go with your primary care person first. You're seeing a cardiologist, right? Not now. I'm just under the care of um, my family medicine doctor in uh, UMMC for pain management and um, neurology. Oh, for um, headaches. I have post-traumatic headaches. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, so you can discuss that with your um, family medicine physician. We have a great, large family medicine uh, department as well. So you can um, discuss that with them. Okay. All right. Thank you. And you all have a nice day. Thank you. You too. Thank you, Vivian. And, you know, so Vivian brings up a great point, uh, Myrna, and it's a common question that I get amongst my patients. So how do we know... If we have what people call an innocent heart murmur or I'll get, oh, I was told I had a heart murmur when I was a kid. Like, do we keep taking pictures of the heart if they heard they had a heart murmur when they were a child and we see them in clinic? Like, how do we decide what to do with these heart murmurs? So, of course, for us, you know, it's the location of where we hear it, uh, what's associated with the heart murmur. And it's become so easy now for us to just perform an echocardiogram to check to see. But I tell the fellows all the time, now, your exam should dictate what you say to the echocardiographers of what you're looking for. So the the physical exam is important. Once we determine that it was just a flow murmur, you know, I don't think you need to keep taking getting echocardiograms. Um, only if the patient starts becoming symptomatic from something else should they have another echocardiogram. Uh, we also have a great valvular, a structural heart disease division now that um, Dr. Kellen Ashley um, is over, and she's also over our interventional um, cardiology division. So those patients... Uh, and we usually see they're a little older patients, but we do ha- have some young people. Um, those patients tend to be older, and the valves with aging will start to um, calcify or degenerate, as you would. And so with that being said, you might need to be seen more often, and you might need to have an echocardiogram more often if you have a valve problem. But if you had an echo, say, when you were in your 20s and they told you you had mitral valve prolapse, 
um, and you actually do have mitral valve prolapse, then you don't may need to get checked for every three to five years. Now, if they checked you and they told you you had mitral valve prolapse, and then you go to another doctor and say, no, you don't have mitral valve prolapse, uh, because the definitions kind of wax and wane early on. But we have got good criteria now for whether you have it or not. And uh, we can keep people from having to have too many antibiotics. You know, used to, we mm-hmm. were given antibiotics for uh, heart murmurs. We don't do that anymore. Um, so you have to have a real good reason to give antibiotics before you get your teeth cleaned these days. So um, the dentists know, and we know that we have changed those rules as well. But yeah, that's all about the heart murmur for right now. Yes, because I, I get real, my patients get real nervous when I say, oh, has anyone told you I have a murmur and, or that you have a murmur? And so when I try to explain that it's an innocent or flow murmur, sometimes, you know, people just get real, lose some sleep when, yeah, when yeah, anytime you say something's going on with the heart. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. I have here with me today, Dr. Myrna Alexander Nickens, who is a cardiologist at UMMC. And we have just been discussing uh, discussing heart disease. And now we're going to take our call from Bobby in Yazoo City. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning. Uh, I have a question about some medication. Recently, I had a, I got a pacemaker and it reads it, I guess, by satellite. And it had, I have a, a flutter in my heart and that's what it judges. Uh, and they put me on, I see if I can pronounce it. I've heard it two or three ways. Carbidella. Uh, 3.125 milligrams, and I have to take four days. Now, the doctor called, and he wants me to move it up to eight a day. Does, does that sound reasonable? Well, so how are you doing, uh, Bobby? This is uh, Dr. Alexander Nickens. So let me just say this. Um, isn't it great that you're able to uh, lie down at night and know that your Wi-Fi is working and they can see what's going on with your heart? Um, without you moving. That's correct. Right, I, right. It's one of the things that I know that the digital world has brought forward. Right, right. It has. So now, let me say this. That drug name is pronounced Carvedilol. You have okay. the smallest dose that we have, that 3.125. So when they increased your dose, what your doctor is saying is you just need more medicine um, our regular dose is 25 milligrams twice a day. So if they increase the dose, they're, they're just increasing your dose for pills you already have. But I'm sure when you go back, they will increase the dose. So all you have to do is take a 25 milligram tablet twice a day. Does that, that make sense? Be, yeah, it's better than eight a day. You know? Right, right. So what they're saying is, you you don't want to um, just throw your tablets in the trash. They're still good pills. You just need to double up on them. But since you not tr- you don't want to try to keep up with all those pills, go ahead and call them and ask them for a bigger dose. And that's it's quite I've easy to twenty five milligrams once a day. Is that what you're saying? No, we usually do it twice a day. Okay. Uh huh. My heart rate, uh, my blood pressure, and everything. I check it. Every day, and I check. I sit down an hour and check it five times in an hour and get an average. Then I average it at the end of the month, and uh, it, it was pretty good. It was uh, one thirty-eight over seventy-nine. Oh, your blood pressure. 
Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. And I'm 71. Mm-hmm. I don't run anymore. But I do walk three to five di- uh, miles a week, something like, sometimes more. Oh, okay. That brings to mind, you told me your pressure was 138 over yes, 74. Ma'am. Okay. Just so you know, uh, it's okay, but we have changed the definition for high blood pressure. So okay, high blood you gonna write okay. So for the audience too, you and the audience, the the definition of hypertension now is any blood pressure reading of one thirty over eighty and above. So it's still a little high, but you, I really would need to see your trends. Like you've had some that were lower, some that were higher. So you, right. that that is that is the likely reason that your doctors may have increased your medicine. He said that. Uh Tribulation, it, my heart was fluttering again. It showed up on the uh, on the monitor. Wi-Fi, right? So you yep. still have atrial flutter. Now they may yep. they may elect to go and and take. There's some ways we can take care of atrial fibrillation and atrial flutter. I'm not sure if you've had any of those, but sometimes we treat it with medication. Um, sometimes we treat it with. Uh, def- um, cardioversion and that's when we put some pads on your chest and we will it it sounds a little strange but we do this every day we shock the rhythm back into its regular rate we can do that for atrial flutter as well as atrial fibrillation they they tried that and they told me it was a when they did it it was a life and death (laughs) and you're still talking Right, right, uh, right. So they had to do that at that time. Now there's a there's a third way we can take care of that, and we do. And our electrophysiologist here at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, we perform this procedure. is called an ablation. They could go and ablate that little area that's causing that uh, atrial flutter. Okay, and atrial fibrillation. I will look into that. Yeah, okay. Now, it's, atrial flutter and atrial fibrillation is becoming really common, especially over the age of 65. So if you got any friends, let them know we're here to take care of that, too. Okay. I was drinking a lot in the young days, and uh, uh, now I don't drink at all, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But yes. That's the only thing I... No, yes, sir. I'm glad you brought that point up, too. Every time we say something, I can think of something else. So alcohol does increase your risk for atrial fibrillation and atrial flutter. So I'm... And I don't... So I'm... I want to live to be 90. I'm 71. Okay. All right. Yes, sir. I appreciate your patience and your time. Thank you very much. Okay. And congratulations, Bobby, on on not drinking anymore and, and, you know, really kind of putting your health first. I enjoy the flowers. Thank you, Felder. Thank you, ma'am. All right. Okay. You have a good one. All right. Well, I definitely appreciate Bobby because he brought up some excellent he points. Did. So yeah. everybody thinks about when we think about heart disease, we automatically think about smoking. Mm-hmm. And I think people really forget, you know, it's like we link smoking with the heart and alcohol with the liver. Right. So don't get me wrong. Alcohol does affect the liver. That's one of the major organs. But I think people really forget sometimes that alcohol is a major risk factor in heart disease, too. Right. Yeah. We do see quite a few people that 
have drank a lot and even beer. They say, oh, I just drink beer. Okay, well, how many beers do you drink? <laughs> um, so, you know, I've gone around and around with some of my colleagues about, and, and we have too in medicine, how many glasses of wine are recommended, how many glasses uh, for men and women is different for men and women. So, um Jasmine, I'm sure you get that question all the I time, do. right? And and what are your thoughts? I get a lot. Well, they said that the wine is good for my heart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for a non-drinker, I don't drink at all. So, um, you know, I say if you could not drink, it'd be fine. Um, but then for the drinkers, it's okay as long as you, the women is one glass of wine uh, a day and for men is two. Now, I, I take it they're thinking about our metabolism. I don't know how that was, how they got to that point of recommending that. Um, But yeah, those are the two recommendations um, for wine. Now, you know, beer, if you're drinking too much, can cause this holiday um, onset of atrial fibrillation, that kind of thing. So just be careful and know that you are affecting your organs. And there's a lot of, you know, Go to okay. It's okay to it's okay to do these things these days, but you need to make sure you do a lot of stuff in moderation, and that includes the alcohol. Agreed. And I was going to say, Bobby also brought up another great point. First of all, I want you to check your blood pressure as much as your doctor tells you to check your blood right, pressure, but, but we don't necessarily have to check it, you know, five times a day. And I get it a lot when patients are like, how many times should I check my blood pressure? Dr. Kinsey, when should I check my blood pressure? And I try to tell my patients, I don't want you married to your blood pressure. Right. Cuff. I, yeah. You don't have to wake up thinking about your blood pressure. And, you know, I'll have some patients, you know, I like that jazz <laughs> married to your blood pressure. You do not have to be. Right. Um, and so, I laugh because one of my most common calls after our calls is I'll get middle of the night phone calls of patients that call me about their blood pressure. And my first question sometimes is, why are we checking our blood pressure at 1 a.m.? So that becomes my my first question. So, yes, I want my patients checking their blood pressure. But what what do you tell patients, Myrna, like Uh, how often to check it or when to check it or what are your thoughts? So, you know, it depends upon where they are in it. If they're trying to get their pressures down, they may need to take it twice a day but definitely not four or five times a day that's too much because then you're nervous and you're worried about your blood pressure Uh, but once in the morning once at night is fine now if it's stable you can just start doing once every other day or you know once a week if your blood pressure is stable but if if you're you know 180 one day and then um, and you don't know what it is then you need to really uh, go back to see your primary care physician if it's starting to be high. Uh, Remember the blood pressure reading I told you was normal was anything less than 130 over 80. So if you're starting to be a little high, then know that you may have hypertension. Over time, about 80% of Americans will develop hypertension over time. So I have some uh, ladies and men come in and they will say, I don't have hypertension. I said, well, you're 50 years old now. You didn't have it, but you got it now. And you just got to treat it. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Well, we're going to take our next caller. We have a heart patient. We got you on the line. Okay. No, I just heard that last caller, and I saw that call in. I I was admitted back in uh, March with AFib sepsis combo. And they did a T procedure on me during my 12 days there. And, and, and I heard the doctor talking about shock. And in the T procedure, the doctor put this 
scope down my throat and, and bounced sound waves off my heart, which the sound waves went to a screen and, and provided a graph that showed the doctor exactly every facet of my heart. And, and then before the procedure's finished, you know, he nods to a colleague, and, and they hit me with this shot. I, I came inches off the off the gurney, but but it knocked the top of your heart, the tachycardia, back back in rhythm, and and, and breathing became three hundred and sixty degrees easier for me. Oh, great! And, and and that was just one day. I was up there twelve days. I, I was admitted at two hundred and thirty two pounds, and I was discharged at one eighty four. Wow, great! Oh, oh, okay. They, they said, Wesley, you've got a tight valve, but you can live with it. You just can't run a marathon. I said, I'm not running a marathon. But uh, but then my cardiologist kind of brainstormed me. He said, you know, he's 70 in May. Let's just put a valve in there. So in the Memphis area, I got the first Medtronic Evolute FX uh, platform, which is an aortic valve. Just, just before the day was over, after the implant, the doctor turned to me and said, Wesley, you're getting 400% more blood to your body. So that helped. And that's just the nature of the call. I heard the um, cardiologist talking. <laughs> I heard he was taking eight Carvedilol, and I just went. After the procedure, he took me off amiodarone and Carvedilol. He, uh, he, he cut my diuretics, my Bumex. He cut from two tablets to one. In my aldactone, he went from a half tablet to a full. But uh, those meds work, is all I can say. Stay on your med schedule religiously and uh, tell your doctor everything. <laughs> wow. You know what? You have a patient. We That's what we're going to call you, Mr. A patient. But you have really um, kind of helped summarize everything I said, everything we said, mm-hmm. you summarize. Yeah, so you, right, you uh, experienced the valve problem, the the arrhythmia problem, the cardioversion. It all started with my, my, with a heart murmur being detected. Oh, okay. And then, they, and then they do an IV cat. Right. And they put you through different stress tests. And then, hey, AFib sepsis will get you in the hospital pronto right when you have to go to your mailbox come back sit down and catch your breath for five or ten minutes it, it is time to touch base with your doctor with the cardio yes sir yes ma'am. right well we appreciate your call in i'll kind of explain some of that i appreciate your time and you doing the show today okay thank you yes sir thank you well we've got our next caller here we've got miss d in ridgeland Okay, hello. Uh, that one thirty over eighty uh, for the blood pressure. Yes, what ma'am. What happens when one of those numbers may be okay and the other number not okay? Wow. So they have split that up. Um, so anything that's over one thirty, but say for instance, if your blood pressure is um, seventy, but it's one thirty eight. 
uh, then, you know, we take more than one blood pressure. Let me get back to that. We're not basing the diagnosis of hypertension on one, on one blood pressure reading. You need at least three blood pressure readings to say that you have hypertension that are over 130 over 80. So your blood pressure may be 120, but the diastolic may be 90, 95. You would be considered hypertension, hypertensive as well. So you, it needs to be more than three episodes. So sometimes when patients come to us, Jasmine, we have to go back in the chart, look to see, well, when you were at your dentist, they checked your blood pressure and your blood pressure was high. Well, yeah, that's because I had a toothache. But, yeah, it shouldn't be 190 over 110, though, okay, I don't, even if you have a toothache. And so we have to do a lot of detective work, like our, our recent uh, colleague, just um, to see if you actually have hypertension or not. So we take, you need to so, just check. So let me follow up. So if any of that top or bottom number is not in the range, we should be concerned. And yeah. when you say three readings, over what period of time would, are you looking to check those three readings? I would say in different settings. So if you had them today and it was 138 over 90, then check it again tomorrow, check it again next week. But now if your pressure is 160 over 110, um, we sometimes have people sit down in our office, wait, and 30 minutes later we check it again. Now if it's still 150 over something, that person has hypertension. Now, there is something called white coat syndrome as well. And I've seen multiple patients with this problem. They are so nervous about being in the doctor's office that they have hyped up their adrenaline and their blood pressures are high. And we, that's why we ask them to go and get a blood pressure cuff yourself and tell us what your trends are. Log it and send it to us. So it's more than okay, just one sitting. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Yes, ma'am. And and Miss D, we also just like to highlight, too, that's why we really encourage our patients to take their blood pressures at home, because we have so many patients that get nervous when they come to the doctor's office. And I tell everyone, coming to the doctor's is not a normal day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't always expect our, our us to have our best blood pressure. We're nervous. We're anxious. What is the doctor going to say? What are they going to do today? So I really encourage my patients to take their blood pressures at home and let me know what it's looking like on a normal day. Because coming to the doctor is not a normal day, is what I tell people. <laughs> You're right. Great. Thank you. I'm hanging up. Thank, Thank you, Dee. Okay. You have a good day. <laughs> so we have just had a lot of great calls today about, you know, heart disease and blood pressure and, and valvular disease and all those things. So we really have just learned a lot and highlighted a lot. You know, so I just always ask my guest, Myrna, what is it that you want patients to to take away or if there's one thing or two things you could really kind of tell patients to be thinking about what would you say i would make sure that they're not um ignoring their symptoms don't ignore your symptoms and don't ignore the obvious like a high blood pressure and and think that oh it's just because i'm in the doctor's office make sure that you know that it that you don't have hypertension um, because over time your organs see uh, a higher pressure, and so you're, th those organs are suffering from that. Um, I recently had a girlfriend that um, was is a nurse practitioner, and she thought, well, I can control my blood pressure with, with um, herbs or teas or this and that. And I thought, now, if 
the drug companies thought those herbs and teas worked, they would be putting them in a pill and selling them. So I don't think that just doing that is going to help for hypertension. Um, she ended up having a stroke. And so strokes are pretty severe problem as well. And that, that is the cardiovascular part. That's the vascular part that we're talking about. So I, I would just make sure that they know their numbers and um, and we got enough information now that they can go online and get information about symptoms of heart disease and if they're at risk or not. And there's a lot of testing that we we didn't even talk about. I we know. Need more time, yes, right? <laughs> I, I know. We definitely. I swear, an hour goes by so fast when it you're does. talking about things. And I always just try to remind my patients. You know, one thing that I took away, you know, from the pandemic and everything is there are so many things in my life sometimes that I just don't have control over. Right. No matter yeah. you know what I do, and I and I try to tell patients, you know, sometimes having chronic medical problems and and finding out you have heart problems. That can be very frustrating and very, you know, disheartening. But I always try to remind my patients, think to yourself, what can I do to make a difference in my health? Mm -hmm. You know, that even if I take out the doctors or even if I take out those types of things, what can I do? What can I have control over? So I tell patients, make sure you're empowering yourself when you're taking uh, taking ownership of your health. You can, you know, ask your doctors questions, listen to radio shows like this, go read and research. We're in the technology age. I t- try to remind patients that as doctors, we're your allies. We get excited when we get patients that come in and ask questions. Like right, we right. want to educate them, you know, on things that they read and tell them what's correct, what's incorrect. But remember, you control what you eat. Mm -hmm. You control how much exercise you get. We control how we handle stress. Maybe not the stress that's happening in our lives, but how we kind of handle those things in our lives. So yes, as doctors, contrary to popular belief, I don't like to give you medicine if I don't have to. (laughs) But if you need it, you need it. But, you know, if there's just things that we can, you know, do for ourselves outside of what happens in the doctor's office. Right. Do it do it. And so I just really, so, so what are your kind of recommendations on healthy eating and diet and heart disease? And Oh, coming from a family that uh, had, we, my family has a high risk for heart disease. So I've always been conscious as well myself as, uh, am I going to be at risk or, and I am, I have hypertension and I tell my patients, I take my blood pressure medicine every day. So I am no different from you. So what I teach, what I try to teach, I try to do as well. Uh, So exercise is important. Sleep is important, which we don't get enough of, right? Not at all. (laughs) Right, right. I need more (laughs) of that. Um, But rest is important. Um, And, and just um, being aware, I think, uh, like I said earlier, uh, would help tremendously if you don't just ignore your symptoms, but make sure that you are paying attention to yourself. Be an advocate for your families. Make sure your husband, sons, daughters, nieces, nephews, they are also know their numbers. And I think we'll have a healthier community. I completely agree. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health. Thank you so much, Myrna, for joining us today. Thank you, Jasmine, for having me. Yes, ma'am. This is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, and it is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners just like you. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy Women's Health on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.